Chapter 3 A Working Boy at 8 Every morning a large pile of newspapers, both in English and Tamil, is delivered to me. During my travels abroad I like to stay in touch with news from India, which I do by going online to read news articles and editorials in different magazines and papers. The wealth of information now available at the click of a finger amazes me. As a person closely involved with engineering and science, the march of technology should not surprise me, but when I juxtapose our lives today with what it was like 70 years ago, in a small South Indian town, the difference is startling even for me. I was born in the year 1931. When I was about eight, World War II broke out. Britain declared war on Nazi Germany, and despite the Indian Congress's opposition, India too, as a British colony, was involved in the war. India's war effort saw a record number of Indian soldiers being deployed in various war zones around the world. Daily life, however, remained fairly unaffected initially, particularly for us in the southern tip of the country. As I have mentioned, Radmeshwaram in the 1940s was a sleepy little town that came alive with the arrival of pilgrims. The inhabitants were mostly tradespeople or small businessmen. The town was dominated by the temple, though there was a mosque and a church too. The inhabitants went about their way fairly peacefully, and other than the normal altercations that break out in any town or village, nothing much of importance happened. The only source of information about the outside world was the newspaper. The agency that distributed newspapers was run by my cousin Samsudin. Along with Jalaluddin, he was a big influence in my early life. Though he could read and write, Samsudin was not well-traveled nor highly educated. Yet he had such affection for me and encouraged me in so many ways, that he became a guiding light for me. These men understood my deepest thoughts and feelings before I could articulate them. To me they were adults who could reach out beyond the narrow confines of their daily lives and businesses and see the larger world. Samsudin's newspaper distribution agency was the only one in Rameshwaram. There were about a thousand literate people in the town and he delivered newspapers to all of them. The papers carried news about the independence movement that was heading towards a crescendo at the time. These news items would be read and discussed with great gusto among everyone. There would also be news from the war front, about Hitler and the Nazi army. Of course, there were many mundane matters too, like astrological references or bullion rates, which were consulted with utmost interest. The Tamil paper Dinmani was the most popular of all these papers. The way the papers reached Rameshwaram was quite unique. They came by morning train and were kept at Rameshwaram station. From there they had to be collected and sent to all the subscribers. This was Samsudin's business and he managed it effortlessly. However, as World War II raged, we no longer remained isolated from the world, and it affected my life and the newspaper delivery business in a strange new way. The British government had placed a number of sanctions and rations on goods. Something like a state of emergency now prevailed in the country. Our large family felt the difficulties acutely. Food, clothes, the needs of the babies of the household, all became difficult to procure and provide for. In our family there were five sons and daughters, as well as my father's brother's families. My grandmother and mother had to stretch every resource to the utmost to keep everyone fed clothed and in good health. As the difficulties of the war started affecting us, Samsudin came up with a proposal that excited and delighted me tremendously. 
One fallout of the conditions was that the rail stop at Rameshwaram station had been done away with. What would happen to our papers then? How were they to be collected and then distributed to all the people of the town who were looking forward to their daily dose of news? Samsudin found a way out. The papers would be kept ready in large bundles. As the train chugged down the Rameshwaram the Nushkodi track, they would be flung out onto the platform. And that is where I came in. Samsudin offered me the enjoyable job of catching these bundles of papers being thrown from the moving train and then taking them around town for distribution. My enthusiasm knew no bounds. I was only eight, but I was going to contribute in a meaningful way to the household income. For many days I had noticed the amount of food on my mother's and grandmother's plates becoming lesser and lesser as they divided the portions between all of us. The children were always fed first and I don't remember any of us ever going hungry. Obviously, the women were compromising on their nutrition for us. I agreed to Samsudin's offer with alacrity. However, my new job had to be fitted into my regular routine. My studies and school had to continue as before, and the delivery business had to be accommodated amidst all these other activities. Among my siblings and cousins, I had shown an early aptitude for mathematics. My father had arranged for me to take tuitions from our mathematics teacher. However, my teacher had a condition that I, along with the four other students whom he had accepted, needed to reach his home at dawn after having taken a bath. So for a year, which was the duration of the tuition, I started my day while it was still dark outside, with my mother shaking me awake. She herself would have risen before me and got my bath ready. She would then help me bathe and send me on my way to my teacher's home. There I would study for an hour and return by 5 a.m. By then my father would be ready to take me to the Arabic school nearby, where I learned the Quran Sharif. After my lesson on the Quran Sharif was over, I would sprint away to the railway station. There I would wait, hopping from one leg to the other, eyes and ears keenly open for signs of the oncoming train. Surprisingly, unlike most trains these days, the Madras the Nushkodi mail was rarely delayed. Soon, the engine smoke would be visible in the distance. The horn would be tooted loudly and with a thunderous roar, the train would pass through the station. I had worked out the best spot from which to keep an eye out for the flying newspaper bundles. Like clockwork, they would be tossed out onto the platform. The train would then huff and puff away. Some Sudin's person in the train would wave out to me and as the train receded, its whistle growing faint, my job would begin. I then picked up the bundles, divided them up into batches according to the neighborhoods in which the papers had to be distributed and off I went. For about an hour I tore around Rameshwaram, delivering the papers to everyone. Soon I began to identify people by the papers they read. Many would be waiting for me, and there would be always be a friendly word or two. Some would tell me to hurry back home so I would not be late for school. I think most enjoyed being handed their papers by a cheerful eight-year-old. Our town being on the east coast, by the time the work was over at 8 a.m., the sun would be high up in the sky. Now I headed back home, where my mother waited with breakfast. A simple meal would be served, but how hungry I was usually. My mother made sure I ate every morsel before sending me off to school. But my work did not end there. In the evening, after school was over, I would do the rounds of Samsudin's customers again, collecting dues. Then I would meet him, so he could work out the accounts of the day. At that time, sitting somewhere near the sea, 
With the breeze blowing in, Jalaluddin or Samsuddin would finally open up the day's paper. All of us would pour over the black type of the Dinmani. One of them would read aloud the news items, and slowly the larger outside world would enter our consciousness. Gandhi, Congress, Hitler, Periyarev Ramsami, their words and exhortations would hang in the evening air. I would trace the photos and words with my fingers, wondering what it must be like to be out there in the larger world with all of them. Maybe, I thought to myself, one day I would go to the big cities like Madras, Bombay, and Calcutta. What would I say if I ever got to meet people like Gandhi and Nehru? But such thoughts were soon interrupted by the calls of my playmates, and then for dinner. There was homework to be done, and even an eight-year-old has only that much energy to spend. By 9 p.m. I would be fast asleep, as the next day more studies and the life of a working man lay in store. This routine continued for about a year. In that one year of running around with the papers, I grew taller and browner. I also learned that I could now judge quite accurately the distances I could cover at a sprint with a bundle of papers in my hand, and hence could time my arrival at various localities at the same time every day. I could calculate in my head the amount owed to Samsuddin by each of his subscribers, and could reel off the names of those who had not paid up that day. Mostly, I learned that to be a working man meant you had to be up and ready to face the day, whatever else may happen to you. Homework, tuition, prayers, all carried on, but the Madras Dinoshkodi mail would not wait for me, I had to be present at the station at the correct time and at the correct point to catch the bundles as they came flying in. It was my first brush with taking up a responsibility and seeing to it that I kept my word to my cousin Samsuddin, no matter what. It was also a most enjoyable time and I loved every moment of it, notwithstanding the intense tiredness every night. My mother often fretted at my taking up this additional work and the toll it was taking on me, but I shook my head and smiled at her. Knowing that my earnings were somehow helping us all, and that she was secretly proud of me for having taken on the role of a working man at the age of eight, kept me going with a smile on my face. 